and welcome to the Vibrant Light Podcast, your home for uplifting faith-based commentary. My name is Alicia and I'm your host. Today I will be discussing the importance of spiritual self-protection and the impact of cutbacks to COVID emergency funding. I wanted to speak today on a couple of different topics. First, I want to discuss how it's becoming more important than ever for us to protect ourselves spiritually and psychologically from attacks on our faith and on us personally in in many ways. And then on a separate note, I want to talk about the increasing problem of poverty and inequality, financial inequality specifically, especially in light of the rollbacks of the emergency COVID funding that a lot of people have become reliant on given that even with the COVID restrictions subsiding, inflation has taken the place of COVID as a significant hardship for a lot of people. And I would argue it's just as impactful inflation is as the hardships people were facing during COVID, if not more so because the hardships people were facing during COVID seem to impact certain sectors and certain pockets of of people where inflation affects everybody. So, um, but first off, going, starting with the topic of spiritual self-protection. In Matthew 7, 6, Jesus says, Give not that which is holy to dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest perhaps they trample them under their feet, and turning upon you, they tear you. This can be a confusing bit of scripture, because Jesus makes it so very clear, so very clear, that we are not to be judgmental of each other and of others. And yet, this statement can come across as asking us to differentiate who is worthy of receiving the word of the Lord. But that's really not the intention here if if you look at the teachings of the church on on how to interpret interpret this. Uh, The intention is really in being protective and advising us to be guarded with those things which we hold sacred and holy. The Eucharist is a perfect example. We don't encourage everyone to receive the Eucharist and and other sacraments. If if we don't hold anything sacred, then nothing is sacred and it, it loses meaning. So how this applies to what we're facing outside of the the church building and in our day-to-day lives. If we're debating with somebody or we encounter someone who's coming at us with seething diabolical judgment and nastiness, not disagreement, but really, really seething nastiness and judgment and trying to define us and tell us what we believe and, and what kind of people we are, it it's, of course, attempt, tempting to bite back and want to defend ourselves and defend our faith if they're if they're going after our faith. And if we're engaging with somebody that's willing to hear us and have an open dialogue, then of course we should defend our faith and we should try to be good apologists and be able to speak to our beliefs and why we feel how we do. But if someone's really just coming at us 
and if they're being nasty and and slapping these hateful labels and and terms on us and and they're not acting in good faith we do not owe them a defense we don't have to explain ourselves we don't have to we don't have to feel like they have the ability to defend us we don't want to project that they even have that power in any way shape or form so oftentimes in these situations the best thing we can do is disengage and not throw our pearls to swine so to speak it doesn't mean we are agreeing with them or being doormats we're just we're not going to participate in somebody who's just looking to fight I saw an example of this on social media recently where a local politician in my city was engaging with somebody in a a back and forth about pending legislation in my state about parental rights, specifically in regards to transgender issues. And the person she was having this exchange with, um, basically, they brought up her faith in a way that was accusing her of not acting like a Christian by having the opinions she had about parental rights and and protecting the relationship between parents and children. And instead of defending her faith, which I do happen to know this this politician is a Catholic, and instead of defending her faith, she stepped back and said to the person who it's, it seemed like she knew from other, other interactions. I don't know who this person was, but it seemed like she was familiar because, because she, she um, just really paused once, once that person brought up her faith of, of kind of how can you call yourself a Christian, blah, 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 and just said something along the lines of, you see my faith as delusional. You see it as nonsense. So I'm not going to go there with you, which I think in that case was an appropriate response because the other individual clearly wasn't actually interested in hearing her faith-based reasons for her position. That that person that she was engaging with clearly had already made up their mind that religion is make-believe and therefore any request for religious explanation is disingenuous and any religious explanations that would have been given in response would have just been dismissed as nonsense. So I thought it was smart to just to disengage in that in that context because the only reason the other person was bringing up religion was to essentially just use it as an I told you so or or, or mock her faith. It, it, that was that much was very clear. And I think this is especially important to keep in mind right now. Because I do think the rhetoric, unfortunately, is ramping up where the nastiness that we're seeing is increasing. And it's it's coming from, I don't want to say unexpected sources, but it's coming from what it would have in the past been seen as reputable sources. I put on NPR this morning, for example, and put up, I put up their website and I saw an article and um, about transgender issues. And this is also a topic they've been covering a lot with children. And they were, they were covering that, that recent legislation I'm talking about. And, and they were just so 
absolute in their statements. In one article I was reading, and there was a quote from a doctor from Dartmouth. You know, so this is somebody who historically I would have said had some credibility and is somebody in the past who I would have taken taken their opinions seriously. But this doctor from Dartmouth basically said that the fact that people are even asking questions about so-called gender affirmative care could cause these children seeking this care to become increasingly desperate and despondent and possibly kill or hurt themselves. That is a wildly irresponsible defense of a medical practice to essentially put these children on a ledge and tell even those who, who have simple questions, who want honesty and transparency about the potential side effects, that they are the ones who will be responsible for any harm that comes to those children. And, you know, I, I hate to keep using this issue because it, it is kids that we're talking about, but this topic is just frankly what's in the media right now. And... Um, it's really fueling a lot of this othering and anti-Christian rhetoric that's going around. Um, so as much as I'd like to move on from this topic, it just seems to keep coming up. Um, you know, these are medical decisions. And, and if a doctor is or a hospital is providing a child with medical treatment, that no, there's no medical treatment that is not without side effects and consequences. That's, and in this case, it's not without potential permanent impacts on the child's overall physical health that they could be dealing with for the rest of their lives. And we're also, we're talking about a condition, a treatment for a condition that's com from, as best I can tell, is completely self-diagnosed. And I, and really, they wouldn't even define it as a condition. It's, it's a lifestyle, I guess. I don't know. They won't define it. So it's, it's hard to know. But there's certainly no diagnostic criteria it's simply left at that they are what they say they are. So don't ask questions. Because if you ask questions, then that means you don't support these children. And you must not want them to exist. That's the message. I think another example, aside from this, that, that could be used uh, would be when it comes to abortion. The popular narrative, of course, is um, those who are pro-life hate women and don't care about children after they're born and don't care about people in poverty. Um you know, so so we do we do see it there too, where um, we have people attempting to shut down conversation by just dismissing the Christian viewpoint as being rooted in hate. With an election season coming right up around the corner, we're going to be encountering a lot of this, and it really can wear wear person down and make us feel crazy to be engaged in these debates all the time or even if we're not debating with people just seeing it in the media the rhetoric that's out there because nine times out of ten if we are confronted with this it's it's going to be a fruitless conversation and probably not the best use of our energy if we truly care about protecting children and the unborn and other vulnerable vulnerable groups that we're accused of secretly hating, um, then our, our energy is going to be better directed elsewhere. If you listen to my last episode, I talked about the, the term the devil and that the, it's the, tra the translation, the root of the word the devil is the divider. So it's 
always important for us to remember what this type of thinking and attitude is rooted in. These individuals are motivated by trying to distinguish other people as undesirable. It's a power play. That's not thinking that's, that is rooted in the Holy Spirit. That is demonic thinking. And I'm not saying those people are demonic, but the origins of that type of thinking where their energy is coming from is demonic. It is from the devil. It is divisive, intentionally divisive. It's, it's an attempt to put themselves above others as being superior. Everyone has the ability to break free of that if they choose, but sadly we are living in a world where that type of thinking is encouraged and it's rewarded and it's being, it's being supported and upheld and validated by these institutions like our government or Ivy League schools, corporations, respective publications. Like The Atlantic just came out with an article that basically says Title IX is passe and in this new transgender world um, that, that we live in now, that, that sex and sports doesn't matter. Forget about it. So we're no longer up against fringe thinking because the fringe thinking has completely infiltrated what used to be considered respectable institutions and journalism, at least in the mainstream. There used to be journalists who would call balls and strikes on this kind of stuff when these situations would bubble up because these types of debates, whenever there's changes in our culture, there's always people who try to demonize each other for various reasons. And it used to be the role of the journalists to hold us all accountable and present both sides to to sort of present that counter opinion. And, and that's not to say the media has always been perfect. There's always been political and financial influence in media, but there have always been those who wanted to be seen as respectable journalists. There's always been certain publications that were considered sort of above brow and would bring in both sides and, and investigate. And, and, and just even if, even if they had a certain position, they would at least have a seat at the table for, for an opposing view. And that rare, that's very rare to find these days. And it's certainly not in the mainstream media. So I just want to encourage any, everyone as, as we get closer to the election season to hold strong, but don't waste your breath. Don't throw pearls at swine. Safeguard yourself. Protect yourself spiritually. You don't, not, we don't owe anybody a defense of our faith or our identity and I think that's important to remember. It's a good skill to have. It's something we as Christians should be able to do, but that to know that we're not obligated if we're dealing with somebody who's being disingenuous and hateful to defend our faith to them. We and because other people can't define us. You know, we I, I hear a lot of this now of basically this sort of narrative of you disagree with me, therefore you hate me. You disagree with me, therefore you, you discriminate, discriminate against me. Nobody else has the ability to define you. Just because somebody says that doesn't make it true. And we don't, we don't have to 
we don't have to give give a response to that. It it doesn't it doesn't require one because it, it it's not up to others people to decide who we are and what we think and what we believe. Oftentimes we're better off responding by just politely disengaging and praying for them. And not condescendingly, but really like this this is not a, a great state of mind for somebody to be in. Because in times like this, in, in, in engaging with somebody like that, oftentimes less is more. You know, if somebody's really coming at us expecting a particular response and we don't give it to them, we can really say a lot by not saying anything. The other thing I wanted to touch on today is, if you're not aware, there was a lot of COVID relief money, I think we all know that, that was used for a variety of programs from enhanced Medicaid benefits, um, SNAP, also known as food stamps, housing vouchers, and it's all going away. It's actually in the process of going away already. And in some states, I think I read 18 states have already rolled these enhanced programs back. Um, but in the remaining states, the federal funding is is done between February and March for for these programs. And it's coming at a really bad time where inflation is up and many families are already struggling to put food on the table. And arguably, uh, like I said in the beginning, I would imagine a lot of them are in a worse position than they were during COVID. And I wanted to bring this up because I feel like so much attention has been paid to making the student loan uh, relief permanent, but no one's really talking about the fact that these other benefits are ending. And it's bothered me because as someone who attended college, college was my choice and taking on that debt was my choice. And we can debate about the cost of college and how college should be paid for and what college should really cost. That's a separate conversation. The My point is that the choice to go to college and the associated debt was an expense that myself and others like me agreed to when we took out student loans. And so I'm, I'm not saying as, as somebody who, who took out these loans as somebody who would benefit from this because I do still have some student loans. You know, I'm not I'm not just saying this because I'm I'm bitter because I already paid off my student loans. I'm speaking as somebody who would benefit from this. So there's all this talk about this student loan forgiveness, but it seems like there's no energy or attention being paid to these other benefits and programs that are are being put back to where they were that these some of these individuals have become reliant upon. And these are people who statistically probably didn't go to college. So why isn't this group getting the attention that the college graduates are getting? I don't want to make assumptions or dig into conspiracy theories, but it at at the at minimum there is a clear lack of political will and interest to address this slow-moving tidal wave that's about to be coming at these people who are living in poverty, many of them, and will be undoubtedly making choices over the next few months between food and medicine and utilities. So I just really wanted to bring this to everybody's attention for people who might not be aware of it since it it really hasn't been getting a lot of coverage. 
and we just need to be mindful of our friends and our family and our neighbors who might be struggling. And I would say if, if you have the means to do so, contributing to your local food bank, your if your church has a food pantry, you know, check in with with those folks and see, you know, if how their demand is, what do they need? Um, because frankly, this is a situation that is actually going to be life or death for some people. And, you know, there's a lot of, you know, tying it back to what I was talking about before, there's a lot of people using this life or death argument as hyperbole when discussing other issues. But this issue literally is life and death because of of what it's going, the, the choices people are going to have to make. And, you know, the, the, the individuals living in poverty, those dealing with addiction, they just, they seem to continue to get ignored. And so I get frustrated be, with what I see as hypocrisy and manipulation when certain groups get discussed, but then that same passion doesn't translate to, to other populations. And it it just feels like there's this thirst for power and this divisive language that's not really rooted in love and compassion or helping people. Because if it was, they would be shouting just as loud about these people who are going to be put in harm's way because of these cutbacks. And... There, there's just no, there's no energy there. It's, it's not even being discussed. And instead, we're focusing on what feels like made up problems. And, you know, I hear the argument of, you know, well, we can't do this forever. But we could look at making these additional benefits permanent. Given inflation, I don't think that's an unreasonable conversation to have. Given all the money we spend on so many other things, feeding people seems pretty fundamental feeding and housing people, making sure people have their basic needs met. I, and I know welfare benefits are controversial and, controversial, and yes, people abuse these programs, but to leave these individuals who truly need the help with, without proper support just doesn't, it just doesn't sit well with me. And when I hear people bang banging their fists on the table about these other issues and making these other issues life or death, but then ignore these people who truly are facing life and death situations, it tells me what their motivation is. It tells me what their intentions are. It's the wolf in sheep's clothing. It's, it's hate disguised as love. So we should always, while we should always be open and willing to have tough conversations with people and be willing to defend our faith, we should not be afraid to push back. We should not be afraid to walk away and disengage and not feel like we have to defend ourselves and recognize that these individuals who are behaving this way cannot define us, do not define us, don't get to decide what we think. They don't get to decide what our intentions are. As much as they might 
speak in absolutes. And as much as they may get the support of some of these previously reputable institutions, they, they are not the authority. We don't have to answer to them. So if we if we encounter these these situations it's okay to just walk away and and not participate and not engage and not give them that fight they're looking for and if they choose to interpret that as us being weak or giving up or not having an argument let them let them think that because that they're going to think that no matter what, we're not going to change these people's opinions. So we're usually better off just not giving them any more fuel for the fire. So I hope that's helpful. And I hope today's episode didn't feel too negative. Um, it's really a, comes down to protecting ourselves spiritually um, because these these are tough times to be Christian. They're tough times, especially to be Catholic. It's very in fashion now to speak neg- negatively about people who are faithful. And we are going to encounter this. And, you know, it, like I said, it, it can wear us down if, if we don't, if we don't allow ourselves some space from it. So... Thank you so much for listening to the Vibrant Light Podcast.